Principal Matters Podcast, episode 182. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm talking about Generation Z Unfiltered with my special guest, Andrew McPeak. Andrew is a next-gen researcher, speaker, and curriculum designer for growing leaders in Atlanta, Georgia. He works with schools, universities, and sports teams on implementing Habitudes, a teaching tool for life and leadership skills. He's also the co-author of two books, including his newest one written with Dr. Tim Elmore, Generation Z Unfiltered, Facing Nine Hidden Challenges of the Most Anxious Population. You also might recognize Andrew from episode 89 from Principal Matters, almost 100 episodes ago. So, Andrew, welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast. Fill in the gaps on that intro, and why don't you tell our listeners something they may be surprised to know about you? Thank you, Will, so much, man. It's an honor to be back with you. Obviously, you couldn't go 100 episodes without having me back. That's what happened, right? Uh, well, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, it's really cool to to be with you. I think your intro was pretty good. I, um, I'm very blessed to get the opportunity to work with growing leaders for about the last five years. And um, on top of uh, getting to write books like this, I spend most of my time, my, my title at Growing Leaders is the Vice President of Content. And so most of the work that I do uh, is really focused on not only helping adults connect with the next generation, but then also our curriculum that we use at Growing Leaders, which is called Habitudes, which are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. It focuses on soft skill, character, and leadership development skills for uh, for young people. So lots of my time is spent figuring out not only how do we connect with the next generation, but literally writing the tools to help adults actually uh, develop the next generation, which gets me excited. You asked me as well to say something that people may not know. The surprise to know for me is that this entire journey for me at Growing Leaders started as a hobby. Back in college, I actually read a Dr. Tim Elmore book, Generation IY. Some of your listeners may have read it years ago when it came out. And uh, I read it senior year in high school, or sorry, in college, and, and just fell in love with that with that concept and the idea of generations. And it, it rang so true to me as a, a member of the millennial generation. And so I, um, I kind of fell in love with that. So I followed Tim for years and years and years until 2015, when I had a mentor who said, you know, you should just reach out to the guy. And uh, that was the beginning of this whole journey for me. So it's pretty cool to watch a hobby and something you're passionate about on the side turn into something that you now do full time. So this is pretty cool. That is cool. And you know, that brings back a memory, Andrew, of the very first time you and I met, which was probably four years ago when I was, yeah. I had reached out to Tim. Tim had invited me to one of your events to to do a breakout session as a speaker. And I remember finally having the privilege to connect with you. And as you and I were talking about your work at Growing Leaders, I made the comment of um, how much I admire Dr. Elmore because I had read his books too. And for those of you that may not be familiar with Tim Elmore, go to growingleaders.com and you're going to see all the content there. Tim's dozens of books that are available there. But Andrew and Tim are partners in the books that they've been co-authoring for the last several years. But Andrew, when I told you that, um, I think I said something to you like, um, I love Tim Elmore. I want to be just like him when I grow up. And you looked at me and said, so do I. <laughs> and so we we were like immediately in the in the in the Tim fan club. If he was here uh -huh. right now, he'd be getting so. But um, yeah, you're right. I, he would. 
he would. But I think the reason that both you and I resonate with the work that Tim does and admire him as a mentor and a leader is because of our love for leadership and in the understanding that leadership, the way that it's portrayed through growing leaders is a reminder that leadership is all about service. It's all about helping others. It's all about providing value to others. It's all about leading through humility, um, yes. not leading through pride or arrogance. And so that resonates, I think, with us as, as fellow leaders, but also it, it's an inspiration for those that we're training in their own leadership. And that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today, because you've just published this year, the newest book, Generation Z Unfiltered, Facing Nine Hidden Challenges for the Most Anxious Population. And Andrew, I know you spent a lot of time researching for this book. Give us a little background before we jump into what the nine challenges are and talk to us a little bit about some of the work that you did to gather the content and the research for this book. Yeah, well, we had in the back of our minds we called it for years. I can't wait to write our Gen Z book. That's what we kept saying. But And what we knew for years, uh, and I say years, we probably first talked about this idea back four, four years ago. What we knew back then is that there's a new generation following millennials and that eventually they'd be old enough for us to find out some, uh, some information about them and help them, the next generation of adults lead this next generation of students. And so uh, actually, for the last four years, we have been collecting research. I have been doing focus groups with middle and high school students and some college students, but mostly middle and high school students. And uh, we actually, in the end, even commissioned some of our own research. We've done two Harris polls, uh, nationwide surveys that we commissioned, one in 2017 and one uh, in 2018. And both of those were also designed to answer some key questions about what we were thinking about and discovering in regards to this generation. And so in a lot of ways, what we were waiting on is the research uh, that was coming out about them to sort of catch up with the desire we had to give, give adults some answers about who these kids are and the things that they're struggling with. So since these are the kids born since 2001, we were waiting till right now they're 19, 18, 17, you know, years old, the oldest of them are. And so we're able to finally say some definitive things about who this generation is, what they're facing, as well as how they're different from millennials, which I think is a big question that a lot of people are, are asking. And so we were just pumped because this was the book we had been dreaming about for years. And then uh, and it's finally here, which is exciting. Well, it's so interesting when you look at generational research, which I know is your bread and butter, and Tim's done this for so many years now. It's yeah, It's really interesting how terms change over time. I know that the IY generation was kind of, was the term being used for a little while. And finally, Gen Z kind of emerged as that as that new term. And of course, you and I can talk 10 years from now about what the next term is going to be. Yeah. And I know you probably already have theories on that. But <laughs> I would like to, uh, I would love to just take a moment and dive into the takeaways. Because in all of the research that you do with focus groups and the, the Harris polls and with all of the research that you've done through your own reading and for listeners who have not picked up a copy yet of Generation Z Unfiltered, please do. And in the back of the book, there's all kinds of resources and references that you can you can look at for the research that Tim and Andrew did for the content of this book. But take us first, Andrew, into, if you wouldn't mind, just by mentioning what are the nine challenges. And then I want to take a few minutes to dive into at least one or two of them today with listeners so that they can have some ideas of ways to address those challenges. But as a way of summary, what would you say are, are the the nine challenges that you identified in the research for Generation Z unfiltered? Absolutely. So when we started this journey, we started to see some 
So we can start to get some clarity about who these kids were. And that's actually where we came up with the name for what we were trying to do. Uh, Generation Z unfiltered. That term unfiltered is us trying to, that filter, by the way, is not a car filter or a house or filter in your house. We were actually talking about a filter like on social media. It's a veneer that students put over them. And so what we found is that as we removed that veneer, we discovered these nine key challenges, which are things that they're facing. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do a quick overview as you asked. There's so much more that can be said about each of them, but uh, really quickly, challenge number one was empowerment without wisdom. What we saw is that we uh, we have deeply empowered Generation Z, they're the most empowered generation in history, with two particular things, information and opportunity. But uh, what happened is those it, that information and that opportunity did not readily lead them to have firsthand experiences. And so because of that, we have a generation that's empowered but doesn't have the wisdom that comes from firsthand experiences. And it leads them to believe they're more ready for the world than they actually are. So that's what empowerment without wisdom is about. Uh, challenge number two is one of the ones I want to go deep on, but stimulation without ownership. Basically, this generation does a whole lot of stuff. They're so overly stimulated with activities and ideas and uh, different prescribed activities uh, from the adults in their life. But often, because of that, they don't take ownership over their own life and their own education or their own uh, self-leadership. Uh, challenge number three is privilege without responsibility. This one is about that all-encompassing concept of entitlement that we talk about so much when we talk about the next generation. They are genuinely entitled. We've given them so many privileges. I will point out, however, as a caveat, which I always point out when I'm speaking to adults, we, our generation of adults is also privileged. <laughs> We're also entitled. And so all of us in the 21st century are entitled with all kinds of uh, amazing things like the GPS or indoor plumbing and electricity or any number of things that we can name that we get just for showing up. The problem is that when, oftentimes when you have a lot of privileges, it leads you to, to not develop as many responsibilities. You don't have to take responsibility because you just kind of get things. And so we want to talk about what's the, uh, how do we sort of overcome this challenge and, and meet the, uh, the amount of freedom that they have with an equal amount of responsibility. Uh, challenge number four, we called it involvement without boundaries. And what we said basically is that this generation fills their time all the time. They are heavily involved. Um, so this is the generation that, uh, you know, goes from literally from several hours of school to soccer practice to violin lessons. And then after all that's over, they got to do a bunch of homework. And somehow they squeeze three hours of Netflix in their day too. Uh, and what we're finding is that that amount of involvement, that overactivity often leads this generation to stress and anxiety. And that's this challenge. Involvement without boundaries is all about how to address the anxiety epidemic. Uh, challenge number five, which is the other one I want to go deep on, is individualism without perspective. Basically, we have a generation of kids who are so uh, so caught up in their own world and in their own uh, needs, the things that are right in front of them, that often what it leads to is that they don't have the perspective that comes from seeing the world from another person's point of view. They simply don't have time for it. The key problems here are selfishness, which I'm seeing rise and rise and rise. Narcissism is another, you know, the other side of that same coin. And the other one is incivility. I don't have to explain to your listeners that our, our world is more polarized and more incivil than ever before. And I think Generation Z can find themselves leaning in that direction because of the world they grew up in. Uh, challenge number six is accessibility without accountability. We've given them access to the world's information, uh, but the problem is we haven't met that with accountability. And what we have found is if Generation Z is going to make good choices, especially in the digital space, 
they're going to have to learn to make those choices themselves. So this one's all about sort of helping young people develop values and ethics early in their life so that they're able to make those choices because honestly, they have access to adult information very, very early in life. And they've got to start figuring out how to navigate that much, much earlier. Uh, chapter or sorry, challenge number seven is fluidity without integrity. This is all about their identity. They have very fluid identities. And what I mean by that is that they find themselves changing who they are based on the uh, situation that they're in. So I'm as a young person today, they may have four or five different Instagram profiles where they're uh, exercising a different persona on each one. Uh, they've got uh, lots of hobbies and areas of interest. And basically what it leads to is if you ask them, who are you? Most of them cannot give you a clear definition. They don't know their identity separate from all the different personas that they have. And so this one's about finding integrity or wholeness. How do I get an idea of one person? This is, I am this one person and I'm going to be the same no matter what context I'm in. Uh, I find that this, this problem is often leading to that anxiety epidemic as well. Uh, challenge number eight, we're almost done. Challenge number eight is opportunity without resilience. So today's kids have so many opportunities like we've talked about that are in front of them, but often they don't capitalize on that, those opportunities because they don't have a whole lot of resilience. Uh, resilience is a muscle that you build by doing hard things. And this generation just hasn't done that many hard things uh, often for a lot of them. Uh, lots of them have done a lot of hard things and then a whole swath of them have not done any hard things. And so this is about how to build resilience and help them learn to burn, bounce back after hardship. Uh, and then the last one is consumption without reflection. This world invites consumption. In fact, the distraction that comes from just having a consumer mindset for today's kids is possibly one of the greatest challenges that I think we face. So this one is all about learning to be reflective rather than consumptive. So how do I stop and uh, notice the world around me and ultimately become a critical thinker? We think that's one of the big challenges that they're facing is a lack of critical thinking, which is showing up, by the way, in conversations I have with HR professionals. They are dying for kids who know how to be critical thinkers, and oftentimes we're missing it. So we talk in there about how to build uh, critical thinking skills. Mm, well, Andrew, those are fantastic. And Principal Matters listeners, all of those nine challenges I will include in the show notes. So thank you, Andrew, for giving, first of all, that quick summary of the data and the information and the content that you pulled out from your research, because every single one of those challenges are ones that I know that school leaders resonate with every single day, and educators in classrooms resonate with every single day, and parents resonate with every single day. And interestingly, some of those are even ones that those of us who are older are grappling with too, just because of the current age that we live in and our access so to information true. and technology too. So, so, so thanks thanks for those summaries. And for those of you that don't have a copy of the book, Andrew and Tim unpack each of those in detail, as well as follow-up chapters on how you can respond to each of those with tools, strategies for helping students to become stronger amidst those challenges. But Andrew, I know you wanted to just kind of bore down on a couple of those as ways for listeners to think about how they can be responding to students. And the first one that you said you were going to take some time on is stimulation without ownership. So take us there for just a minute. Why is this such a, an important challenge to understand and how do we face this challenge with some new strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So for each of these challenges, as you mentioned, you know, we, we want to talk about the problem, but also the solution. The word we actually landed on as we were writing the book is let's be pracademic, right? I want to be very academic, get all the research right, all those kinds of things. But I also want to be very practical 
I want us to uh, land on a solution that fits and, and that somebody feels like, you know what, not only does that make sense, but I could do something about that tomorrow. That to me is the definition of practical. And that's really what we were going for. So in the case of stimulation without ownership, the way that we sort of articulated what this problem looks like, and by the way, this is we're seeing this in, uh, inside of the adult style of leadership with kids in every context. But what we're seeing is a whole lot of prescriptive leadership, prescriptive leadership. And here's what I mean by this. Today's adults, often they set a goal for the young person that they're leading. So a mom decides, I want you to be, uh, I want you to take violin lessons, right? Or a teacher decides, I want you to pass this, you know, this semester's course, all good goals, right? But what often happens is because the, the adult has decided that this is the goal that they want them to reach. So they've decided on what the output is. They also decide that the best way for this young person to get to the output that I want is for them to follow the inputs that I prescribe to them. So the adult prescribes both the goal and prescribes the exact steps that their learner should follow in order to reach that goal. And so we're seeing it everywhere. So this is uh, parents who, we meet parents who lay out their the outfits for their kids uh, at the beginning of the day. They schedule, their, they keep a calendar for their kids and drive them between each one, right? I've met moms who pick up their kids with Starbucks every day after school. It's just this sort of world of prescription for parents, but it's even happening in the digital space too. So like if you watch a YouTube video, it automatically prescribes for you. Here's the YouTube video you should watch next. Same thing on Netflix, same thing on Amazon. If I buy something, it prescribes for me the next thing I should buy. So we live in this very prescriptive world where all the adults and all the companies feel like the best thing they can do is tell the young person exactly what needs to happen next. And you probably can guess at what the outcome is. If I'm a young person and the world that I live in is one where I make no decisions for myself, every step along the way has been prescribed before I showed up by an adult, whether that's my parent or my teacher or my coach or my pastor or whatever it is, right? Somebody has decided what my day is going to look like. Then I begin to feel like I'm not in control of my own life. And so we see a lot of young people running away from decisions, young people who make poor decisions because they feel like the person who's going to bear responsibility for the poor decision is not them, which is oftentimes true. Uh, you know, parents pay the fines and handle all the problems for their kids. By the way, this, this is a term called moral hazards. A moral hazard is something where a young person decides that I can make a riskier decision because I know some adult will step in and save the day. So this is sort of the norm, I think, in our society when it comes to how we handle and how we lead kids. And what we are suggesting in this chapter is that we switch from a prescriptive style of leadership to what we call a descriptive style of leadership. And it's a really simple shift. Basically, you still uh, decide on what the goal is for the kid. So the mom still says, I want you to become a practiced violinist. Or the teacher still says, I want you to get an A on the test, right? But instead of prescribing the steps to reach that goal, you instead hand over the decision-making to the students. By the way, this is not going to work for six and seven-year-olds, right? Six and seven-year-olds need a prescriptive style of leadership. But increasingly, as young people get older, they need us to shift our style from a prescriptive style to a descriptive style. So instead of prescribing all of the steps they should take in their life, instead we say, here's where I want you to get. Here's the outcome. And I want you to tell me, and I'm going to be your consultant along the way, 
why don't you tell me what you think you need to do in order to reach that goal? And what we have found in this style of leadership, which I can give you a few ideas about how to, how to step into this style, is that what happens is, first of all, the students hate it, <laughs> of course, right? Because this is not the world they're used to. But increasingly over time, what it's doing is they start to feel like they own their own education, they own their own life, and they own their own decisions, which is exactly what's going to happen when they turn 18 and leave the house, and leave high school. So why don't we start helping them practice for it today is kind of where we're going. So uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah. So let's just stop there for just a moment, Andrew, because um, as I'm reflecting on that, I think it's just important to make sure that I'm on the same page with you. So the difference between prescriptive and descriptive is that in prescriptive leadership, we're not only telling students or children or our, or our own children what their goal should be, but we're also providing every step along the way and really robbing them of their individuality, their discovery, their, their ownership of their own lives. Because Absolutely. as you hear from young people, young people feel like they're no longer in control of themselves. Yep. And so when people feel out of control, obviously you're going to increase anxiety and you're also going to increase riskier behavior. And the solution is what you call descriptive leadership, which means helping students identify those goals, encouraging them to discover design their own solutions and steps in reaching them. Am I, am I with you? Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. If you think about yeah, all the, uh, the best learning moments in your life, they came when an adult stepped back and let you discover for yourself, right? Sure. So give us some practical examples of, of what that might look like for adults trying to switch over to a descriptive style of leadership with Gen Z students. Absolutely. Well, surprising no one, Growing Leaders has an acronym for this <laughs> on uh, how you can step into a descriptive model of leadership. You're laughing right now, and I know why. It's because we have an acronym for everything. <laughs> But man, they work. They work. You can I think you guys them. have an acronym for eating lunch each day. <laughs> yeah, we might. You guys have know. an acronym for I think, I think you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so our acronym for this is, is PROOF. And what we say is that if you want this generation to own their life and leadership, you have to give them a chance to prove themselves. So it's five different strategies that come together to solve this problem. The letter P stands for problems. What we have found is too many adults are leading with solutions rather than problems. And what this basically looks like is I'm giving the kids an answer oftentimes to a problem that is not clear to them or that they don't even believe that's an actual problem. And what we suggest is let's flip the script on them. Let's lead with the problem and give them a problem to solve. Uh, and then they'll want to discover the solution for themselves and we can be their consultant along the way. So I know a college professor, for instance, who takes one of his problem, one big problem that uh, he wants the students to learn. And on the very first day of class, he puts it up on the, on the chalkboard in the top left corner uh, of the chalkboard. And he tells them by the end of the semester, if you'll stick with me, you'll be able to solve that problem. So it becomes very clear to them what the outcome is going to be up front. And then what he says is, and actually you're going to have to solve that problem because this is one of the questions on your final exam. So what's the, what's the incentive for the student? It's all of a sudden there, right? If I wake up at 7.58 and I'm like, do I want to go to this 8 a.m. class? The thought I have is, oh, well, I need to get to class because we might get closer to being able to solve that problem. So when the student feels ownership over the problem, they'll find a way themselves to discover the solution or pursue the solution. But let's not pretend that they're uh, interested in what we're talking about unless we've given them an incentive to be interested in what we're talking about. We, Tim likes to say students learn on a need to know basis. So giving them problems is all about telling them, here's why you need to know, 
the information you're going to learn in this class. That's great. So the first part of prove is the P, problem. So what's the R? So the R is relationships. This is probably going to seem very simplistic, but here's the thing that we have discovered time and again. It kept showing up in research. Students learn best from adults that they believe like them, right? I don't feel like I need to say that again, but I do feel like I need to say that again because of how profoundly different the experience for the student is when this is in place. Students learn best from adults that they believe like them. The number of kids I sat down with in focus groups who told me, oh, well, Miss So-and-so, she hates me. And it's like, there's no way there's a teacher who has devoted their entire life to being in a classroom actually physically hates their students, right? That's not possible. What's happening is there's a, there's a gap in communication. And I think the gap comes from this, the teachers not making time to build relationships with their students. I'm just telling you all of the research is pointing to the reality that when, when a young person believes that the adults in their life believe in them and want them to succeed and care about them as an individual, the outcome of the work that you put in with that young person just skyrockets exponentially. It's different. And uh, we just are really big believers in taking time to build relationships because it makes all the difference in the world. Mm, That's powerful, Andrew. So what's the O? The O is ownership, ownership. So obviously this comes back to that descriptive style of leadership, but this one all comes down to giving young people the opportunity to take ownership over the problems in their life, take ownership over the decisions in their life. And by the way, this starts really, really simply. For me, this starts with literally just refusing to answer students' questions. They hate that but later they love that. Because what you're doing when you do simple things like that is what you're saying is, I am not responsible for finding an answer for you. You are responsible for finding the answer. And what it's doing is it's shifting the mindset of the kids to not think about adults as the people who are going to step in and save the day, but instead seeing adults as people who I can seek out for wisdom, for advice, for direction, which is exactly the role that I think we're supposed to play, especially as that kid's 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. So give them ownership over the tasks. Sometimes, by the way, on a big grand scale, it's, hey, we need to teach this concept in April. So I want you three to decide how are we going to teach this concept to the class? That's giving them ownership on a big level. So it's both micro and macro and what this could look like, but ownership is the key. They need to own their own learning and their own development. Mm, that's great. So problems, relationships, ownership, what's the V? The V is visuals. You know from working with us for a long time, Will, uh, we are big believers in the power of imagery to communicate. Uh, images are the language of today's generation, right? Uh, they don't send text messages. They send iconic messages, whether it's GIFs or memes or videos or Snapchats or whatever they are. Uh, visuals are the way that today's generation communicates. Um, so why don't we use those? For us, visuals come from four different categories, and these are tools that we use whenever we're communicating with young people. They're pictures, videos, stories, and metaphors. Those are the four most powerful ways to translate your information to today's generation. So utilize those tools in your tool belt in order to better connect with them. And we just found that those are uh, really key ways to make a difference in in connection. Mm. And I know that that you guys have an entire curriculum full of visuals through your habitats. Check those out if you haven't seen those before, Principal Matters listeners. So problems, relationships, ownership, visuals, and then what's the E? 
the E is experiences. And I, I'm not the first person. We're not even close to the first people who have talked about experiential learning and the power of using experiences in the classroom. But experiences, it's important to note, are a really easy way to actually lead in a descriptive leadership style. Because the best definition of experiential learning is when a teacher refuses to give students the answers or refuses to even teach in some categories, but instead gives or creates an environment or an experience in which the young people can discover that information for themselves. Uh, that's what experience is for. So obviously our science teachers and their labs uh, get to cheat on this, but I think the rest of us can think a lot like that. Experiences are about thinking lab, not lecture, lab, not lecture. And that's probably the clearest way to explain it. Uh, what we're doing is we're creating an environment or a scenario in which the young people can go, ha, I never thought about it that way. And they wouldn't have unless we gave them an opportunity to discover that for themselves. So problems, relationships, ownership, visuals, and experiences. There's actually a story about an educator who did this in Southern Indiana at Paoli High School, uh, a guy named by the name of Corey Brooks. And Corey is an FFA teacher at a, at a very rural um, school where lots of uh, students that attended his school were should have been interested in, in FFA because they were growing up on farms in this rural community. But what he was experiencing is that his students just didn't, they didn't show interest in the subject. They didn't want to learn. And he's thinking, we're missing a valuable opportunity to get these kids ready for the career they're likely going to have because of where they're growing up. And so what he decided is, Following along with all of these things, he decided to uh, flip the script and not have a traditional FFA classroom, but instead he gave his young people a problem to solve, uh, an experience to go through that included all of these things that we just saw. That we just saw. Basically, what he decided to do is he bought his students a pig uh, to take care of. They named her Mrs. Boots. And all of a sudden, these kids went from walking into a classroom where the teacher's going to tell me stuff and I'm going to have to take notes on it to I'm responsible for the life of this animal. And what happened was the classroom completely flipped and the students were coming to Corey and going, hey, we need to figure out how much to feed Mrs. Boots. How do we figure that out? And he was able to consult with them. You know, uh, Mrs. Boots was also pregnant. So there was lots of things that they had to learn. Uh, with this uh, pigs, you know, piglets rapidly coming. Uh, so they were able to take care of her. Once their piglets were born, they decided they wanted to expand their operation. And so what they did is they had a local architect draw up plans for a barn slash greenhouse that they wanted to build behind their school because they got the bug for doing this. And they raised over $200,000 to build a state-of-the-art facility, which finished I believe just about a year and a half ago. So now these students, as a part of their curriculum, uh, from very young ages are walking out of the school building and going into this secondary building and helping to raise livestock, growing plants, all this kind of stuff. And by the way, the pork products and the, the vegetable products that come out of this facility are going to all of the local schools to provide food in the cafeterias for the local community. So I'd say Corey Brooks is a great example of what it looks like to switch from a prescriptive to a descriptive style and to discover that these kids are far more capable than we give them credit for. And I think that uh, a lot of us would find the same thing if we, we sort of shifted our style of leadership. Mm. Well, Andrew McPeak, the co-author of Generation Z Unfiltered, that was an amazing unpacking of just one of those nine challenges. And Andrew, I don't know if you want to stay around for an additional episode, but I would love to unpack another one with you. But I know that Principal Matters listeners, as you are wrapping up today's episode, 
I would just want to remind you that you can connect with Andrew and all of this content at his website at growingleaders.com. Andrew, thank you so much for giving us those insights. I, I'm looking forward to reconnecting for a follow-up episode because I want to make sure that we can unpack another one of those areas as well for school leaders. And school leaders, thank you for doing What Matters, and I'll talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.